Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Price Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New Year's is now in the rearview mirror. By now, some of the excitement about our New Year's resolutions may be dying down, much like my excitement for Chelsea Football Club as we get further and further into the season. If you're looking for performance apparel that can help give you the extra push you need to keep up with your health goals, Viore has you covered. Viore creates incredibly versatile and comfortable activewear designed to look great in everyday life in and out of the gym, or in my case, on or off the tennis court. Plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint by offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products, empowering your best active life. With Viore, you can feel good about the things you buy and also how they are made. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash MIB. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash MIB. Not only Will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns? Trust me, go to viore.com slash MIB and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Bedford, New York, and the crap part of West Hollywood, California, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. We back like the Atlanta baseball team. Dave Benny Bennett here, fresh back from the Los <laughs> oh, Angeles no. fan fest. I know, that it's too early in the morning for Benny. There's a lot more Benny Bennett updates coming up in this podcast. <laughs> but what a time to be alive, Dave The Los Angeles fan fest, a magnificent and moving way for us both to broadcast soccer at the site of an American sporting, well, a place of greatness, the LA Coliseum, a place you used to go to to watch the United States men play back in the day with like 19 other fans. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, to be accurate, I watched the United States men play there, but I also watched Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, the uh, Brazil came and played there. Argentina came and played there. I mean, every year the Coliseum sort of seems to invite the greats of Central and South America to play there. And it's not 19 fans. There are tens and tens of thousands there. I think, you know, I was there, I think 90 plus thousand to see Mexico play Brazil in 2004. Um, uh, Yeah, I think it was the famous site where the US men's national team got there's no other way to say it, urinated on by the Mexican <laughs> fans uh, in the 1990s. Well, do, you, do, do you have a urine fetish? <laughs> yeah, yes. Exactly. Back would in you, the 90s, that's what you, you needed would, to follow the US men. Are um, you willing, are you willing yeah. to spend 90 minutes watching soccer, a sport good Americans hate, just to get urinated on? Okay, we'll do it. What, where do we have to go to sign up? But it, it yeah. was back when <laughs> soccer was this, itself was this bizarre fetish that you would go down there Yep. 90,000 people would be there watching the game. It would be everything in that, you know, five <laughs> blocks of like downtown where, you know, on the, the border of the campus of USC, 
And the rest of the world completely and utterly ignored it. It yeah. just wasn't, it didn't happen. It didn't happen in the world of US sports, didn't happen in the world of Los Angeles culture, and it didn't happen in the world of international soccer. It was this bizarre thing like you thought, did I actually just see a game with 90,000 people watching? Because that feels like the biggest thing of all time. I mean, a big big headline of this is that there's no kink shaming in soccer, but really we're talking about a time <laughs> when it was probably less publicly embarrassing to admit publicly that you enjoy to be urinated on than it would be to admit publicly that you were a soccer fan. Is that really what you're trying to say here? There was a feeling I had during FanFest this time, in LA particularly, of being down there and watching, you know, people just being out and proud with their yeah. love of yeah. soccer and their kink. It's kind of like <laughs> Comic-Con. You know, it's not like a British or European football crowd. You know, it's not a, you know, I was laughing with the security guy down there. It's obviously, you know, a former special forces guy who was escorting us from the uh, green room to the main stage and yep. back. And he, he really he was didn't. A, he's like, guys, where's the bags of urine? I turned up for the bag of piss. <laughs> but I, I looked at him at some point and I said, this is very nice of you. But you know what? There are really no problems in this crowd. This isn't an English football crowd. It's like a Comic-Con crowd. The, the group of people who follow American soccer are the nicest it's like they are other. It's just their little dungeons. It's their little D&D. No, it's why I love it. I love the passion, the joy, the just the general positivity. I do. I, I've talked a lot about this on Pod's Par, so I, I'm not going to repeat it. But I do believe that this is a place where football fandom is grounded in love. And I adore. And, and, and it's, to be honest, it's the kind of football fandom um, that I hope takes you know, deeper root globally uh, in the future. But I, 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 what I do want to say was how bloody moving it was. Because I too, you know, remember being in LA uh, on trips back in the 90s. You mentioned the cock and bull in Santa Monica. I've watched games in the cock and bull. You know, it was you know, a... Just closed down, Rod. Very sad. It's not there anymore. That's a Sorry, dagger. I hate to give you such a downer, but yeah, it's just closed down. We lost another great one. Don't let yeah. me spiral into... Into just that that conversation that we've had a lot over the past year. Just support your those the pioneering football bars of America. They should become national heritage sites. I want to be honest because those were the places we used to have to. You had to actively search it out. And I will say, I found it bloody deeply, profoundly meaning to see in that city where we both had to actively find football in the crevices, in the niches. As you say, you know, it was almost like in the 90s, it was something, you, it was a dark web uh, kind of world to see the thronging, passionate, widespread fandom, a fandom that is diverse, you know, eclectic, crossing you know, every boundary. I want to say LA to me, Davo, and it's your manor. It's far yeah, more manor. a, Dav a Davo city than it is a Rod city. But it's a proper football town now, right? Oh, it really is. But to be fair, it's always been there, obviously, with the Rose Bowl and the Coliseum. I mean, in the 90s, I got to see probably more international football, uh, you know, mostly Central and South America. And the Gold Cup was sort of, you know, here every year. They used to play it in winter. Um, and... You know, I got to watch so much good football in, in Southern California. So much good football and the Gold Cup. And the Gold Cup, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was some, yeah. They always had guest teams come in and play that. But it was a, a, yeah, I got to see a lot of it. And, you know, it's obviously a huge participation. There's a big English, uh, British community out here. There's community from every country. It's a huge Russian community, huge Korean community, huge Mexican and Central American community as well. 
And it's a massive soccer city. It's there everywhere, but hidden around these 17 suburbs in search of a city, which Los Angeles truly is. It's all there. It's all in the pockets. And now with, obviously, the Galaxy, with LAFC, with Angel City coming, one of those magnificent things about being there at the Coliseum is the Bank of California, you know, stadium right next to it where LAFC play. Beautiful, beautiful piece of work. It'd be even more beautiful when they erect that Bob Bradley statue outside of it. But <laughs> it will look thing, like Ronaldo. The thing I, my most yeah, all babies look like Winston Churchill, all football statues look like Ronaldo. Them's the rules. But when it comes to the Premier League LA truly is the city that never sleeps. I've got so much bloody respect for West Coast Premier League fans, West Coast GFOPs. That 4am wake-up call is so real. You know, and I, I said this on the TV show, whenever I am out West Coast, I never really know how to tactically play it, whether to just, you know, try and get the early hours in and get some bed early and, and rise early, the Rebecca Low way. Or just stay at that bar, Robbie Earle style, through the night, just keep on going. It is, Dave. It's the football fan's eternal dilemma. Uh, talking of, it was so good to see Bex, uh, to see the two Robbies, Tim Howard, uh, to see everybody out there uh, at the Coliseum. Um, good to see the whole team. Lots of Alan Shearer conversation in this podcast. I do believe on the old tactical dilemma, Rog goes to bed early. Benny Bennett powers right through the night. I oh, want to no. thank all GFOPs. Matthew W. Langley asked a question. And by the way, I've thought about this one a lot, Matthew. So thank you for posting it. Um, does Benny Bennett support Everton? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good game. It actually blew my mind, that question. Yeah. It really... I mean, he wouldn't be in that good a mood, probably. Uh, oh, I've got, I think Benny Bennett may be... May be you know, it's, there's two ways Benny Bennett could go. He could be Tranmere Rovers. He could be a lower league, authentic football kind of guy. Benny Bennett could also be a bandwagon jumper. There is. I want to hold that out. I'm not. Yeah, it's like, City. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah. He's, oh, he's, he's, oh, he's, 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 I've always liked Newcastle, says Benny. I don't think Benny Bennett's there. I want to thank all of you who have emailed in via Raven. And tweet new first names for me to ponder to replace the name Roger. A lot of you, a lot of you had the same idea that I go by the name Bud. So American after the beer. Buddy Bennett, which I kind of like. It has like a 1970s NFL coach kind of vibe about it. Um, But it also, seeing as I'm 97% made up of Budweiser products, it feels a bit like cannibalism of the self. At Gidal Kaiser tweeted us to say how about beans bennett i think beans bennett is the leader in the clubhouse dave you mm. can pull off beans bennett says that get kaiser beans bennett the kind of guy i could get behind keep sending in names yeah. if there are any that can top benny bennett i'm going right to my lawyer and filing those name change papers you are what you eat roger okay a quick <laughs> piece of business from men in blazers world business. headquarters we are officially Coming back to television, that's right, the Men in Blazers TV show returns for its eighth season. <laughs> so ridiculous. It's incredible. Sunday, November 7th at 2.30pm Eastern Time, right after West Ham versus Liverpool. Our first episode features an interview with none other than your new father, Rafa Benitez. <laughs> My new father. He looks he looks like he could be my son. But my lord, to be back on television, proof that eight seasons on, the curse of Rog is alive and well. But you know, for the record, I was happy to ruin Everton's season in the name of the television show, Dave. We couldn't be more excited, more humbled to have a football show on American television 
for eight seasons, same number as different strokes, LA Law, Magnum PI, I think Full House too. It's just, it's something we never take for granted. That's Sunday, November 7th at 2.30pm Eastern Time. We will, of course, be live on Spotify Green Room this Wednesday at 7pm Eastern Time. Come join us and talk about whether Greg Berhalter is Ole Gunnar's heir apparent at Old Trafford. And a quick shout <laughs> for a new Men in Blazers pod special presented by Camarena Tequila. The guest, none other than Mr. 37 Seconds, future NFL Hall of Famer, Green Bay Packers quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. The best part of listening to this pod, Roger, was knowing how often... He has broken your heart as a Bears fan. It's the American football equivalent to when I had to interview Stevie G. Okay, well, I drink to that. Can you give the people a reason to raise their glass? Kick us off with a twist, Rogelio. I want to raise my first third bud of the day to an American original, Carly Lloyd, who tonight will take the field for the US women's national team for the 316th and final time. And I spent a chunk of yesterday afternoon with Carly. We talked about a career for a film that we're making, and it was incredible to chat to a human being who, in her own words, flew under the radar for the longest time, didn't go to an elite college, was not coveted, uh, emerging from school, had to fight to make the US team, didn't score a first goal for 14 games, was perpetually on the bubble, but willed herself, truly willed herself, to fulfill her childhood dream. We all had it of playing for our national team, becoming the greatest in the world. But she willed herself to that greatness, physically working in wind, rain, snow and heat. And anyone who's watched the US women will probably have seen the incredible sight of post-game when the rest of the fans have gone and the teams are all in the locker room. Sin Carly charged back out onto the field to do more wind sprints solo. It's that mindset as well as a mental tenacity, a perseverance, frankly, a stubbornness, a willingness to do the work, to heal immense self-doubt and learn to love. In her words, being herself and being different, that's what's propelled Carly to fulfil that childhood dream. So many of us have it, let's be honest. Carly willed herself to it, and it's not always been an easy journey. The sacrifice, the ups and downs, she can be an abrasive character, but she will depart as the ultimate big game winner, a player who in her own words took the field every game with the mindset that she had to play it as if it were her last. And tonight is her last for the US Women's National Team. I raise my Bud Fan Blood Fam to Carly Lloyd. We'll never see her like again. To the football, to the Premier League football, Manchester United nil, Liverpool 5. A seismic result which feels like the inciting incident in this season's Premier League screenplay. Jurgen Klopp's side march on Old Trafford, score five goals and give zero Fs about the destruction they left in their wake. Liverpool started the scoring in the fifth minute when Naby Keita capped a lightning quick counter. Diogo Jota made it 2-0 on 13 minutes. And from there, it was that man, the best player in world football Mohamed Salah, who continued the Mo Salah soccer camp, just putting on a clinic, <laughs> notching a hat-trick that put the game beyond reach and made him the leading African goalscorer in Premier League history. In the end, hard to overstate what a massive result this is in terms of where these clubs are. Yeah, on a weekend in which the big clubs smashed the little ones, Chelsea, Norwich, City, Brighton... Liverpool United, a clash between two legacy teams, neither of them run by a nation, uh, an oligarch, a sheikh. 
both fighting in the short term for a top four place and in the long term to not blink and fall off the ledge to the likes of Arsenal's sunken place. Both teams had had dramatic helter-skelter insane 3-2 midweek wins in the Champions League. Liverpool, still it should be said, the Premier League's only unbeaten team. And the reality was, going into this game, we all knew there was one glaring truth. United, as they've been playing this season, were vulnerable to wing-backs. Ole has to play Ronaldo. He cannot be dropped. But last season, Oggs played big games, sitting back, playing on the counter. That doesn't work anymore because old Yella CR7, he don't track back. And we knew that. We were wondering, what can Ole do? Jonathan Wilson wrote in The Guardian, Ronaldo at United is like some gorgeous wallpaper from an Edgar Allan Poe short story, hiding the cracks while simultaneously causing the wall to crumble. And you know, so the thing that had me going to this one, Davo, just an incredible acting performance. Paul Scholes had said that Jurgen Klopp would be rubbing his hands together. That's a quote to play United. But before the game... Jurgen Klopp said, no, I fear United, their pure power presentation. That's the phrase he came up with. He said that with a straight face, Devo. Where does he get that crap from? Because we all knew this was going to be a bloodbath, didn't we? Yes. However, um, you know, big games, often you can throw out the form book and you can, uh, you can, you know, throw out everything that's come before. And this is like a, you know, arguably the Premier League's biggest rivalry, you know, bigger than... Uh, the local derby for some fans. Um, so bigger you know, than you the can, Kazoo Twins derby. Yeah, bigger than the Kazoo Twins derby. And so, and you expect you look at once again, you look at those team sheets, you look at that just all-star team of international greats that Man United field on a weekly basis, and it was hard to predict. You know, maybe you could predict. You know, yeah, I'm going to take Liverpool in this one, but it's hard to predict just how badly they got thumped, Rog. Pure power presentation. By the way, you just nailed it. You just nailed it. United is an all-star team in every sense of the word in an American sporting milieu. But let it be noted, that all-star team did start optimistically, naively so. Fred, Fred Ronaldo found Greenwood. Bruno charged in a mark from the right, mm. took a touch, lashed his shot high and wide. Bruno, Timo more like, and Liverpool... Just emerged, unrattled, responded immediately as United pressed half-heartedly. Somehow, Luke Shaw Davo was the sole defender facing up to three Liverpool attackers. Just a jailbreak. There's as much a jailbreak as you see at the elite level. Salah, God, could have scored, but decided, you know what, Nabby lad? You have at it. And five minutes in, we're 1-0. I mean, just football. And it was just the ease of that goal, Rog, as you said, with a half-hearted press. I feel like that has to be the last time, unlike everybody else in the football business, who just suddenly are obsessed with the Man United press and how did they not <laughs> practice the press and what's going on? Does an individual press? Does a team press? How on earth do you press? And, you know, it was more than just the lack of pressing in this game. Um, it was really just an unwillingness to engage and to attempt to dictate play, which Man United just didn't do for 90 plus minutes but every single moment in that build-up which looked so innocuous when it started was just met by a half-heartedness a half-hearted response by every single Man United player and by Man United collectively in every phase of the game from their forwards to their midfield to their defence and 1-0 and from the second that went in you thought oh this doesn't look good you know, Christian Press on her own was more yeah. effective than the Manchester United Press throughout that game. And when they did go 1-0 down, 
think the, the Evertonian in me said, oh, don't worry, United love to go a goal behind. They love a slap in the face. 35 points from losing positions since the start of the last season. That's the United DNA, I will like. But... It would soon get worse for Manchester United. Two Liverpool players diving in at the far post. It's like an old tech of football uh, game. One, of course, was Jota. He loves a goal against United, four in seven against them. And again, a comedy of errors for United's backline getting the assist there. Maguire and Shaw. What is going on, David? It's like slapstick, keystone, cop, cock up. Just the defence on Benny Hill setting throughout this one. Yeah. And look, I go back to, you know, as you know, I'm working very hard on my tennis right now, trying to trying to improve. And, and everything that my coach keeps talking to me about is like dictating play. And you dictate play not only when you're playing the ball, you've got to dictate play when the ball is on your opponent's racket and where you are in your court position. And this is sort of why I sort of look at what United are doing. And at every moment with the ball and without the ball, they're on their heels and they're a step behind. They are not a particularly slow team. Luke Shaw is is fleet of foot, Rog, but he just looked a step slower than whoever he was marking um, on, you know, the left-hand side all day. Problem for, for Luke Shaw and that bat line, they, no one on the United team knew how to handle Bobby Firmino, who dropped deep, overloaded Fred and McTominay in midfield and just made the United bat line constantly buckle. And Klopp later mm. hailed Bobby's performance as, quote, insane, which means normal service has been resumed by Bobby Chompers. But wow, Liverpool 2-0 up and cruising. Football though, I told myself it's about entertainment and United were clearly attempting to turn the comeback dramatically from 2-0 down into a movie franchise. I was hoping for a repeat of Atlanta Heroics midweek. But the horrifying truth of this one, Liverpool weren't even playing that well. If you were actually watching them, they were sloppy in possession. But United were so open, so inept, such a shambles. This exquisite corpse of a squad built in different eras by different flailing managers with different ideas of football that Liverpool didn't even have to play well. And a lot of it watching this United team, to me, is the return of Ronaldo, the cherry on the cake in terms of not getting what you need, that number six but getting what you want in the most misdirected of ways. I tweeted this in this moment. I tweeted, Ronaldo to Manchester United has been incredible for the Premier League, but not good for Manchester United. And a thousand United fans were like, he's not responsible for the defending. But you watch this team and you realise just how much playing him and balances the side to such a chronic degree almost makes him a symbol of all that's wrong with the club. And so we got to watch De Gea just seethe after making reflex save after reflex save and to me for all the superstars this is the United season for all the superstars they have on that squad it's De Gea delivering highlight after highlight in game after game without him this honestly could have been twice as bad yeah I agree it's symptomatic it's not the cause Um, if you're a team that has a real way that you're trying to play football you don't then bring in CR7, a lumbering CR7 at this point. Still a brilliantly skillful, amazing player who will score probably he'll score 20 plus goals this season. But he's not going to aid you in the way that you want to go and play football. You don't start your press with your forward line with Cristiano Ronaldo. Um so yeah, I completely you, and you sell, agree. You, you, you sell undies with Cristiano Ronaldo. And yeah. you also read Tuto Sport headlines about how you know the 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 challenge that Ronaldo posed a 
a Juventus squad that thought he'd be the final piece that would put them over the top and instead drag them back, not just on the field, but if you read the stories coming out of Italy this week, culturally uh, in that locker room. And the game became just Liverpool really taking the piss, passing, flicking, fainting, still in second gear. No Mane, no Matip, no Fabinho, still dominating to an insane degree. Their third goal, almost walking it in. Salah scoring. He's now scored in 11 of his 12 appearances for the Reds this season. Just incredible. First away player to score a hat-trick at Old Trafford since 1992. We witnessed this. Mo Salah barely even celebrating a goal scored against Manchester United. That's, to me, the ultimate this, the ultimate symbol of the gap between these two teams. What a player, we should say. Dude has scored more league goals this season, 10 than the entire squads of Arsenal, Tottenham, Brighton, Wolves, Southampton, Leeds, Burnley and Norwich. He reportedly wants a new deal of $690,000 a week. No one's more lethal than Mo Salah in need of a new contract. How many Grealishes, Davo, is a Mo Salah worth? Mm -hmm. And can can Liverpool pay in sight credit? Yeah, I mean, at least five, maybe six. I mean, it's, it's staggering. You know, I can't remember the exact sequence of events in this game, but not only was that third goal scored, but you had three times when you might have seen a red card brandished by yes. by by the ref. You had Fernandez yes. challenged. You had Harry Maguire. Yes, looked like denying a clear goal scoring opportunity, and then CR seven just just going just piling in on poor Curtis Jones. I mean, it was unbelievable stuff. Yeah, we 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 need to talk about this. By the way, Pogba's reckless red card cameo, which was which was really quite remarkable and was one of the buried storylines at the end. It must have been mm-hmm. the vegan boots, Davo. Yeah. Sir Alex left looking on, shaking his head t- side to side. But that Ronaldo, I mean, let's break it. I released a video about this going in I great watched depth. It. Very good job. You're a beautiful human being, but just I'd say the frustration of his humiliation by leathering the ball right into a prone Curtis Jones's down belows. You know, that watching him do Curtis Jones, a, a middle-aged man doing a youth. That's what we watch, by the way. It was like watching old man Ronnie reenact the De Niro stomp and kick scene in The Irishman. Bless. You know, arguably one of United's most lethal shots of the day. And you're right, 97% of the Premier League footballers would have been sent off for that moment. But he wasn't. Bruno wasn't. Uh, for his foul, Maguire uh, wasn't. Pogba was ultimately. They're just such, such ill discipline. But my lord, I did enjoy that Andy Robertson, that Andy Robertson fight, David. The, the Scottish scrappy day with Verge Scooby right behind them as backup. That to me was it was just, who wins that one. Here's what I want to know. You know, Ronaldo has a height advantage. How do you break that down? Yeah, I'd, I'd take Robbo any day. I would take Robbo. You never, you, fight a, you never fight a Scotsman. That's just one of the golden rules of uh, of Fight Club, Rod. You do not fight a Scotsman. Walk away. I so, walk on. Yeah, no, and that that's an absolute given. Yeah, where Robbo comes from, he's had quiet nights out, <laughs> quiet nights out that have ended with him fending off armed gangs, defending himself only with a six pack of cold reeky stout and half a doner kebab. I mean, mm-hmm. smash pint glasses are like Scottish nunchackers. But to me, watching that fight, and, you know, I did wank off about it in the video, so I'm not going to repeat it, but that spirit, that Andy Robertson spirit, you know, getting in Messi's face, getting in Ronaldo's face, it's all that's good about Liverpool. You know, that one for all, all for one, 
No, no fear. Yes, I know it helps knowing you've always got Big Verge in the vicinity, that big unit steaming in. And Canate also, huge respect, feistily humiliating Fred with a pat down. But Robbo is a tiny Scottish street fighting terrier leading the way into the carnage. He laughs at fear. He don't care if you're Ronaldo, don't care if you're Messi because Scotland has its own martial arts and there's something there's something beautiful about it and then the other thing which I did put in the video shocked Davo by how few United players came to Ronnie's defence they let him hang I, I would believe scientifically half of Ronnie's own teammates wished that the ref had let the fight go <laughs> got to see Ronnie just get absolutely pounded <laughs> yeah yeah it was an extraordinary moment I mean the other aspect that I just was thinking is that for Curtis Jones who I mean, clearly of an age that he must have grown up. Like, you know, he probably had Cristiano Ronaldo's posters on his wall. And there he is on the ground with Ronaldo, his hero, piling into him on the ground. It just must have been the oddest, most surreal thing for him to experience. I have to say, sir, it was an honour to have you <laughs> kick the ball into my jewels, sir. It yeah. was something I'll never forget. If you actually watched the video, and we didn't have time to put it into the one that I dropped on social media... But Curtis Jones, I've got to say, I respect him. I think he's a terrific footballer. I think he's proper Liverpool. He's yeah. so bloody good. It actually annoys me. But an under-respected skill of his is to take one in the down blows and just laugh it off. He's He takes one flush, flush yeah. in the plums. He's got and balls of steel, Rog. I, I don't know. I don't know how he does it, David. But if you watch <laughs> Balls it, of valerian steel. It's amazing. <laughs> i got to say, I take my hat off to you, Curtis Jones. He takes it and is immediately complaining to the ref. There was no, oh my God, pain, agony. I am absolutely incapacitated. It was just like, I mean, just he's like, just another day at the mill. Get that Ronnie bastard. Cristiano Ronaldo, I think he was kicking the ball very hard, not actually Curtis Jones. But I think as the uh, as the three-man booth pointed out, having the ball kicked very hard into your gonads is not a pleasant experience. Yeah, but experience. that's an arsehole move. That's like, that really is. It's like the bully move of like of hitting a victim with his own hand and then saying, it's not me that's hitting you. You're hitting yourself. It's not me. It's the ball that's hitting you in the nuts, Curtis Jones. I mean, by the way, all of it from the fight, just that Liverpool's collective spirit, United, you know, Luke Shaw, no doubt saying to Harry Maguire, God, I hope Robbo does Ronaldo. But just a complete and utter domination for Liverpool. Magnificent, almost lost in this, uh, the, the outcome of this game. Liverpool did win this game 5-0. They are still unbeaten. Salah trick, clean sheet. Yeah, I, I, all I can say is, Speaking to Rebecca Lowe at the weekend, we were watching this game together um, after the Everton game. I thought, my God, it must be nice to be a Chelsea fan or a Liverpool fan to expect to win games, to save a rampant performances, clinical finishing in front of goal, joy instead of agony, a different way of living, um, you know, instead of just feasting on scraps and markdowns. Liverpool fans got to revel in every second, singing Ole at the wheel and attack, attack, attack to mock their opponents. I mean, just, David, I, I can't even imagine what joy that must feel like. Yeah, it's good. Um, and yet it's, you know, Chelsea's, we'll get to it, but Chelsea's 7-0 thumping of Norwich got discounted during the weekend as you watched that Liverpool performance and then the Manchester City performance. Still good, still a nice feeling, but it did get a little discounted. 
less delirious Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who admitted this was his, quote, darkest day. I really felt for him, everything he believes in, which is admittedly a complete fairy tale. The dude believes in a fairy tale about club DNA and, and a glorious United and, and a club soaked in, in, in triumph. It was just undermined by... 90 minutes, you know, almost he must have watched that like a kid suddenly realising that gods have clay feet with the world watching him about his future as a Manchester United manager. He said post-game, I have come too far. We have come too far as a group. We are too close to give up now. Do you understand what he's talking about, Dave? How close to what exactly? Yeah, I know. I have no idea uh, what he was referring to. Close to another... uh, you know, temporary taking of the spotlight over everybody thinking he's out of his job, maybe. That was the only thing they were they were in any way close to. I think he must be talking about the United experiences. They've just opened their first a Plan 5 in China where you can pay $20 for real Manchester fish and chips while reenacting Rooney. I, I crap you not, they've opened like a theme park oh. in China. They're going to... I think that's what he's talking about. We've, we've opened the first. We've almost got five more in the bag. That's what's important about football. But who, I mean, we're almost asking not should he go. We're almost asking who should replace him at this point, right, David? Oh, what was your Avram Grant uh, reference? Oh, the Hebrew one, Taha Avram, that he pulls results and he pulls big goals without tactics just out of his arse when he needs one. Taha Ole. Yeah, and well, this clearly was a major blow to that, to Taha Gunnar. Yeah. Uh, but it was... You know, he, you pulled, the, he f- pulled a theme park out of his yeah, arse. Yeah, yeah, That's pretty you, bloody impressive. You, you um, try pulling a theme park out your arse, mate. I mean, you look at the fixture list coming up. Tottenham uh, next weekend away. Then Atalanta away. Man City at home. Watford giant killers. Watford away. And then Villarreal, I think, after that. And Chelsea after that. It's a... You wonder where he's going to get that result that may save him um having said that all the noises coming out of manchester united are that he's completely safe they're not looking for another manager yeah you know that has been downgraded in the last 24 hours that there have been quote conversations um about his future because i think it's there's an awareness what seems to have changed in the past week is that this tactical hot mess this chaos this beatdown was no one off it didn't you know this did not come out of nowhere to use a double negative and that he is not going to be a man to fix it. The word out of United, you know, they'd love to get to the next international transfer window, but Manchester City awaits salivating before them. Uh, The Tottenham game is arguably, uh, according to people who are being briefed on the inside, could be Mm. the big turning point. Um, Antonio Conte, his team are clearly briefing uh, Fabrizio Romano aggressively. Uh, Ten Hag of Ajax, who is still relatively raw for a job of this magnitude. And and you look at Conte, who you know better than I do. He's never jumped into a project mid-season. Really needs a big transfer window in a couple of weeks to get his hard-charging football on the training ground inculcated throughout a side. Honestly, if I were a United fan, I'd actually do whatever I could to bring in Pochettino from PSG, where he's not having a great time, but he is the ultimate healer, spirit builder, collective force. Although you also see how he's handling massive egos at PSG and wonder, woof, is there more ego at Old Trafford? Is it not a good idea? But the United job has been such a revolving door since Sir Alex left, David. They they really, they, you know, I've talked a lot about this club. They've become a team run by their marketing department who have 
far too much of an upper hand in in whom they sign, what talent, who they bring in, you know, what engagement, what platforms, what follows, what likes they can bring, rather than building a coherent collective squad on the field. And I think unless you can change that, David, bring in a strong football director to oversee the incoming players, managerially, it almost doesn't matter who you bring in unless you change that balance of power within the club. You know, United seem doomed to be really maintain that brand pattern of silverware of the past, but quickly become a Northern Arsenal, a club inescapably second in their own city. Yeah, and it doesn't really look like something that can be turned around very quickly to me. Um, yes, they've got this incredible all-star team of great players, but they've got to come up with a way of playing football. Um, and it uh, the problems just look deep with a number of those individuals as part of forming them into being part of a collective. The other thing which I think is going to affect their search, if they really are going out there and looking for a new manager, is that Newcastle United are out there with, you know, all that piff money, nothing to do with Saudi Arabia. Nothing. We should Can make we just that make clear. It clear. They are completely separate, separate things. Separate. But the piff, for some somehow, I've has a lot of money. I've been to piff. It's a lot of money. It's a very democratic place yeah. where there's wonders abound. It's not yeah. Saudi Arabia, is no, it? No, it's very. It's nothing to do with it. So with all that piff money, well earned, you know, through great causes, piff money. Um, do a lot of good Newcastle work are out at the same time looking for a huge manager. It's going to raise the market and it's going to make people make insane decisions again. Piff, piff, piff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rog, moving on. Chelsea 7, Norwich nil, 7 nil. Tommy Tuchel's mob steamroll the lowly Canaries. A Mason Mount hat-trick highlights this comprehensive victory over a Norwich team doing their best Grandpa Simpson meme impression in and right back out. They are rooted to the bottom of the table through nine games with as many points as they have goals. Two, Chelsea, meanwhile, who played without a striker in this one after injuries to Big Rom and Turbo Timo, they stay top of the table, a point ahead of Liverpool. Top against bottom. And the story going into this was, how on earth are Chelsea going to score a goal? No Lukaku. Out of an ankle injury for the next couple of weeks. No Timo Werner, which I actually thought was probably, you know, not a bad thing. No Pulisic. That's for the American listeners to this podcast. The worry lasted an agonizing eight minutes. Mason Mount, Davo, what a player. Yeah, Mason Mount, fantastic game. Some questions about whether Mason Mount was, you know, in the middle of a big Euro 2020 hangover, you know, hadn't quite recovered his form. And man, did he come back in this one. But I would say that... This did allow Tuchel without or force his hand, really, without Big Rom and Werner available. He had to play several attacking players. He played five attacking players, Chile and uh, Reese James in the wingback roles. And then Callum Hudson-Odoi, uh, Mason Mount flanking Kai Havertz in the middle. You know, it's very rare that you genuinely see Tuchel play five attacking players in the lineup. He's usually got one like real defender playing at, at playing at wing back. Um, and my God, Chelsea's movement throughout was just superb. I'm not trying to say that Norwich weren't awful because they were awful, but Chelsea played some great football. I mean, I think that was, that was a fascinating, really trying to unravel where Chelsea's pugnacious ambition and Norwich's just 
general dreck, their awfulness, you know, where where the, where one ended and the other began. Because the Mason Mount goal, the quality of the finish was astounding, but the complete abject lack of cover from the Norwich defence was was striking. And and then you saw in response, Norwich's response was to just naively try and run straight through Chelsea's press, which was which is almost hard to watch um, in a way. And Chelsea just ease clear scoring goals of stunning simplicity uh, and, and clinicality. Uh, Kovacic, I love watching him as a creator now, curling that ball beyond the despairing Norwich backline. Show Picking it up in stride, finishing with a laugh that you could almost imagine and hear through the television. Davo Cho, 17th goal scorer for Chelsea this season. It's an incredible statistic. Yeah, um, so many people who can hurt you. Reminds me of that sort of Orlando Magic team of the 1990s. They just have... Uh, everyone everyone saying, saying that. that. There football. are just so many scorers. There are so many people who can hurt you. Um, also, one should say, you know, the academy, this has been written about, but the, you know, the Chelsea academy, you know, Cho, Mason Mount, four goals for players who came out of the Chelsea Academy. You've got Reese James, James. Fifth, get, fifth goal coming coming for them out of the Academy. And Similarly it, beautiful, crisp, cheeky, joyous finish. Oh, that was a fantastic no. finish. Um, you yeah. know, Loftus-Cheek, who's been reborn under Tuchel, you know, comes out, has a cameo, throws in a decent assist. It's just a, you know, that Chelsea Academy, these young Chelsea players, these young English players, this is just great to watch for a Chelsea fan. Yeah, I mean, I will say, Truly incredible. You you are underselling how remarkable that feat is that the first three scorers were all ones of our own. You know, Chelsea, known as a club that didn't develop their youth, they were derided uh, for a decade. Uh, But all of that has really changed over the past three seasons. And it's admirable and remarkable. As, by the way, is Tuchel seemed to have... Destroyed, you could say, you know, Loftus Cheek and Cho discarded them, but that they have been given second chances and seized them magically. That it's a great tribute to, well, really to the players, but also, you know, I've got to give Tuchel some respect yeah. there. And it was 3 0 when I arrived um, at the Premier League fan zone at 5 a.m. Wow. in the LA darkness and was met with the sight of a dozen Norwich fans sadly grasping their inflatable canaries, walking out <laughs> with, I'm not sure if it was tears or it was just the Los Angeles rain, but it was unbearably sad to witness. And, and this game continued to be as close as the Premier League will give you to US Women's National Team against Thailand. And I do pity Norwich City, canary in the mine shaft. What... English football without oligarchs, nation states, American sports entrepreneurs and piffs looks like. And and you see it in their record against the big four. They they beat Manchester City joyously when it came up last last time around a three two win. But since then played eight, won none, lost eight, uh four one goal against twenty nine, points one zero. And they the nicest way of saying it is Norwich may be just content with their status as the 21st best team in England, no more, no less. Yeah, no, it's it looks like a tough road ahead for Norwich and poor Josh Sargent, you know. Yeah, oh God, that is heartbreaking. A lot of people tweeting us saying Norwich should, actually, if they forfeited the rest of their games, gave away a 3-0 loss in each of them, they may have better goal difference than actually playing them, which is cruel, but fascinating. But for your Chelsea, Davo, a glorious day. Yes, it was only Norwich, Premier League's version of it's only Genk. But you had a hat-trick for Mason Mount. Cho playing his way back into form. Another clean sheet for Mendy. I think 20 
um, of his 38 Premier League matches have been blanks. Lukaku still to come back refreshed. Pulisic even rumoured to be returning soon. And a fitting way to mark 25 years to the day that Matthew Harding passed away, yeah, David. Absolutely. Beautiful moment. Yeah, beautiful. Matthew Harding has a stand named after him at the uh, at the ground. You know, legendary executive. I think he was the club vice chairman. Um, yeah. Really stepped up pre-Abramovich. Um, stepped up to put the club on 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 some kind of financial footing in order for sort of everything that followed afterwards. It was a remarkable man. It was a more naive time of football, but football was changing. Chelsea had to keep up. Um, and he, I think he made his fortune in insurance, stepped up with his own money and started to fund European players arriving. It was him that brought in Viali, Hullet, uh, Leboeuf, setting the club up in its tradition of sexy, sexy football. He died coming back from a Chelsea game, yeah. tragically, uh, in a helicopter crash. Uh, died too soon and it was a fitting and beautiful and wonderful way to mark his memory. Brighton 1, Manchester City 4. The Seagulls' delusions of top four grander receive a blow from the defending champs who pumped three past them in the first 31 minutes. Brighton pulled one back from the spot in the second half only for Riyad Mahrez to make it four. City stay in third, just two points behind Chelsea, one behind Liverpool and looking dangerous. A top four clash. Well, in name only, Brighton were in that ether before kickoff, but City's press, their movement, their fluidity, just the golfing class between the two teams was evident from the off. Man City just came in waves. They are indomitable. Pep said early this season, and we all laughed that he'd been watching geese in packs fly overhead in formation and had started to think, how can geese's formation inspire my football strategy <laughs> yeah and i remember writing that down and thinking mm. what is he on yeah. but the truth is when i watched them play football in this game especially that second goal i understood davo i understood quack quack bloody quack football yeah um <laughs> he may also have been looking for inspiration for his new outerwear uh, uh, collection <laughs> capsule collection that he's going to be launching um, you know in many ways you know as impressive as Liverpool were as impressive as Chelsea were this weekend you know this Manchester City win was more impressive than both of them because Brighton actually played really well um, yes Brighton played some really good football in this game as well um, you know good, so good to see Tarek Lamptey back charging down the wing um, but Man City yes. just demolished them Phil Foden was something else in this game oh my god I mean City were mesmerising flexibly tactically moving into different positions in combinations just pulling Brighton apart creating space at will but you're right Phil Foden bracing an assist so clinical six chances I've said this before it's like watching a human hand grenade that has the diabolical ability to pull out his own pin potential energy potential energy part of him all the time it's just he's buzzing with energy but you're right also credit brian city had blown their door off going up three nil i think in just over half an hour and most teams would have quit but Graham Potter's Brighton, they kept coming, kept coming. And Pep said, and this was true, he said, it's hard to play against them for 90 minutes against another opponent. The game would have been over at 3-0 against this team. It was not over. And huge respect to keep trying to play your game, Brighton. There was, as you said, there was a lovely cameo from the returning Tariq Lamptey. I think it's third game since injury. 
Um, the sweet, angelic, fleet-footed form still there with which he wove his way into our hearts early last season. They got the goal in the second half. And that goal, Davo, just the fourth City have conceded all season, which is perhaps the greatest testament to this year's Manchester City as they brace themselves to face up to old boy Patrick Vieira and Palace before heading to Old Trafford for that Manchester derby. We'll be back in a mo to unpack the rest of this weekend's action after a quick word from the GFOPs at Uncommon Goods. Men and Blazers, we like to believe more is more when it comes to football. Less Everton are playing, in which case, oh, less is always more. But one thing you can do to enhance even the Everton watching experience is to visit the GFOPs at Prize Picks. They're America's number one fantasy sports app. Test your skills on prize picks this season. It's the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you've got the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few tap tappity taps. Mostly just picking what categories you want Everton players to disappoint you in and smashing the less. thing I love about prize picks is, is how simple it is to use. They're now offering Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this soccer season. No more ferreting around in your wallet for that security code on your credit card that the computer never saves. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. That's promo code MIB. Price picks. Pick more. Pick less. It's that easy. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Okay, Rog. West Ham 1, Tottenham 0. Spurs go 0 for 4 in London derbies this season as the Irons finish the weekend inside of the top four after a massive win. The difference came in the 72nd minute when Mikel Antonio steered an Ipswich Town reared Aaron Cresswell corner past Hugo Lloris for his sixth goal of the season. What a player, Rog. The Irons continuing to get results in big games, proving last season was no fluke. A London derby soaked in both aspiration and fear in equal measure. Spurs entered, how soon we forget, with two straight wins, which had changed the mood, made fans believe they were poised to soar again. Oh, but West Ham, you know, their European endeavours, they have knackered themselves by winning in Europe. I think the two previous match weeks, they lost immediately. And so there was a feeling this would be Spurs day, but it couldn't be further than the truth. West Ham had all the possession and the initiative. Spurs grappled to match their intensity, tried to flicker on the counter, had their chances, but just uh, this team unable to summon the final pass. Yeah, yeah, Spurs looked awful. It's why yeah, maybe exactly the team for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to be taking his limping Man United to next weekend. Um, I yeah, thought they you were meant terrible. Ole should be the next manager. That would be amazing. <laughs> that, by the way, Spurs are oh, and Ole just they love to attack. They love just you know just entertainment. They don't expect to win. That's historically that DNA. That DNA is what Ole's made for. But my lord, credit West Ham made Spurs pay off a set piece. The very place where I believe four of their last five goals have come from. So much power, so much height, so many units on that West Ham team, David. 
Yeah, very, very physical football team and a team that, you know, clearly they those boys love playing with each other. I love their goal celebrations. It's just oh unbridled my God. joy. I mean, Cresswell it was who swung in the corner. Mora and Kane both missed it. And Antonio, he don't miss. Not since, arguably, Davo, Jesse Lingard in his pomp has been a guy who seems to score solely so he can unleash the celly like Mikel Antonio. I've got to get him on the show. Break him down. His dirty dancing baby lift. Here he dropped the Neo bullet dodge. Man is putting in the hours on the training ground, David. Do you think he puts in as much hours on his cellies as you do on leg day? Uh, That's a lot of hours, Rog. The legs are working hard on the lunges. But he's also got natural born talent for it. Like he's, he's a man who's full of joy. Yes, as Bob Dylan once said about himself, I'm just a song and dance man. For Tottenham fans, really the agony lay in how little came by way of response, both from their manager who didn't make a sub until the 84th minute and on the field where they still lack a creative brain. We've said this in pod after pod, the loss of Christian Eriksen years ago still hurts this team. And after the positivity of wins against Villa and Newcastle, this... Five wins, four losses in their first nine games under Nuno. What a hurt here. Not a shot on goal in the second half, even when they were down. But oh, West Ham, three wins, three clean sheets. David Moyes, what a week. What a job. His team are in fourth, Dave. And deserve to be there. You know, David Moyes also seems to be having a good time. We're seeing him smiling a lot, like being upbeat in post-match is he smiling? Is he, he smiling? Do his new teeth like not fit properly? <laughs> it's awkward. It's like lips. That's possible. I, fair. I like. Fair. Let's let's give him smile. Let's give him time because I will say redemption. That is a redemption story. When I think of David Moyes, I think of the Rudyard Kipling poem. If if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. You know, I look at him and I'm like. United should hire him. He deserves yeah. a crack at a big job, right, David? Yeah, maybe Sir Alex was right. He was the right man for Manchester United. <laughs> Arsenal 3, Aston Villa 1. Mickey Arteta makes it six unbeaten in the league as Arsenal cruise past the Villa on Friday Night Football. A Thomas Partey header, an Oba rebound from his own penalty and a blitzkrieging Emile Smith-Rowe. Does he know any other way to Krieg? His end-to-end counter put Arsenal up 3-0. Villa pulled one back via a Jacob Ramsey top bins delivery, but too little too late for the Burbigub outfit. Arsenal are up to 10th. They haven't lost in the league since that 5-0 beatdown by City in August. He knows how to blitz Krieg. He knows how to alley Krieg. But we've got our Arsenal back. Arsenal facing a game. To me, this was a really crucial one uh, in their season. You remember the late embers of Wenger's regime were like... Just a MC Escher staircase in which a corner seemed to be turned only to turn three more quickly and end up in the same dark place. And Mikel Arteta's team seemed in danger of replicating that. Yeah, we overwhelmed Tottenham, but then we limped to draws against Brighton and Palace. And this Villa team thrashed Arsenal 3-0 last season. But you wouldn't have known that from the early exchanges. This, Davo, this first half, Arsenal were as good as I have seen them this season. This was Arteta ball, building slowly, intricately from the back. Smith-Rowe, just, and debutant Tavares overloading the left. It was confident, it was joyous, it befuddled, it humbled Aston Villa. Yeah, I mean, there's some observers were still not very impressed by Arsenal in this game, but I thought they were superb. 
Um, you know, once again, some serious question marks have got to be asked about Aston Villa and what exactly is going on over there as they seem to be collapsing somewhat. But um, I thought Arsenal were great and I just, I like the kind of football they're playing. It's almost like total football. Yeah, God bless Partey. First goal for his club flicking on the corner, delirium. And Arsenal fans know this team has started so many games well, only to wilt, especially after scoring first. So it was another real litmus test and Arsenal passed it. Although, again, it's hard to know if they did so merely because, as you're hinting, Villa were so oddly subdued, so uncalibrated. They almost seemed like they were drugged. Big signing, Buendia, sloppy in possession, Arsenal made it too when Matt Target conceded a soft penalty. David, <laughs> name another player in world football who creates more goals than Matt Target. I mean, the only things we've said about Matt Target all season, we haven't even referred to the Villa Frat House, which seems to be, you know, but perhaps it's been shut down uh, for sort of breaking COVID <laughs> it's protocol. Been sent off, it's been sent off campus. It's been banned. Yeah, we only talk about you know, Target <laughs> receiving yellow cards. Uh, scoring own goals and conceding penalties. There's nothing yeah. else. You know what that means? He's going to score a hat-trick against Everton, guaranteed in the rematch. But God love, tell about giving away penalties. Um, here, Emi Martinez saved from Oba, his ex-teammate, but the Gabonese and lashed home the rebound, leaving the goalkeeper in absolute agony on the floor, a sight which I think many Arsenal fans savoured almost more than the three points themselves. Though for the record, I've always believed rebounded penalty goals should only count half. Villa, you said what has happened to them. I can't help but think watching how defensively vulnerable they've come and link it completely conspiracy theory-esque to John Terry leaving the coaching team. <laughs> yeah, nothing to do with Greels. It's just John Terry gone. But yeah. no, we should give John Terry credit. He's definitely a defensive master. And we take it in ca- the face! No, and he both organised them, uh, but also, you know, governed through um, through threat uh, yeah. and and imminent danger. And, you know, some, some of the tooth of the uh, Villa bench seems to have disappeared with him. Yeah, you regular listeners will remember I watched a John Terry Aston Villa defensive drill for an hour in which he just had half the defenders blast the ball at the other half of defenders and shouted at them as they cowered. We do not turn our backs on the shot. We take it in the face, which I, <laughs> I just love. That's just like classic tactics. What tactics? Just take it in the face. Look, I must say Villa did look a bit better with four at the back and CONCACAF Thunder of Leon Bailey on, but they pushed forward, leaving Uber to flick Smith Rowe in on goal. 3-0 with a Mings deflection to boot. We're a Emile Smith Rowe's team now at Heshon tweeted, did NBCSN pop in an Arsenal game tape from 2004? Because that's what it feels like. Villa, three straight losses. They looked very, very kazoo. But sheer joy for <laughs> Arsenal fans. Overscoring, lacquer impressing, youth bedding in. A weekend that began with happiness. I bet you didn't know what to do with yourselves. Work of progress, no doubt, but a kind run of games, a Liverpool clash. And I think for Arsenal, Davo, consistency now. The next aim with the Brodgers Leicester playing host next weekend and a massive game for both managers who will want to both exclaim look at me now yes talking of Brentford 1 Leicester 2 two teams who punch above their weight class met in the hipsters pick for game of the weekend and it was that walking Puskas award Yuri Tillmans that started the scoring with an absolute rocket in the 14th minute despite Kasper Schmeichel standing on his head the bees did find a way through when Mateus Jurgensen flicked a corner home early in the second half, but in the 73rd minute, halftime substitute Zambian 
Patson Dacca laid one off for James Madison to poke yes. home and win it for the Broger Gent, who surely will have given himself the moniker the beekeeper <laughs> after this win. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait for his autobiography. Chapter 271, The Day I Defang the Bees. Call me the beekeeper. He's had some weak broach. Magical victory over Manchester United. They come back in Europe. And here, a man who likes to call this team disruptors, put a spanner in the works of Thomas Frank's club, who had an eye on that crown in a first half in which the mighty bees dominated while being woeful with their finishing. Leicester took the lead, courtesy of a life truth, Davo. Yuri Tillman's only scores bangers. You know, a bouncing ball and he just hammers it. I mean, hammers it. Um, just the contact, every single sinew and joint in his body moving in, you know, just orchestral symphony to, to put this one um, it's my favourite kind of goal to I put love this it. one into the net yeah it was amazing beautiful leading to the Leicester faithful chanting sign him up about their out of contract in 2023 star coveted across Europe Brentford will be frustrated for the second week on the run they outplayed polished opponents but had nothing to show for it they found their way back into the game in the second half Jorgensen finally conjuring a finish but Leicester took the points on a jailbreak Pats and Dacca their sudden goal machine on a one-on-one unselfishly dished off to the receding fringe that is James Madison to deliver the dagger first goal since February and if Madison Davo can resummon the form which made him half as good as he thinks he is Leicester back could be back. Three points off fourth place now. Crystal Palace won, Newcastle won after falling behind to a 56th minute. Christian Benteke's header, the piff-backed tune. Nothing to do with Saudi Arabia. Found an equaliser through new crown prince of Saudi Arabia, even though this has nothing to do with Saudi Arabia, Callum Wilson. His acrobatic overhead kick earned a point for interim manager Graham Jones. An amazing goal, but the performance here made it pretty clear that Newcastle's problems are far greater than the recently jettisoned Steve Bruce. They stay second from bottom with just four points. First point in the entire history of the nation known as PIF against the feisty Crystal Palace who edged the game with their positive Vieira Vision football, 75% possession, highest total ever since that stat began to be recorded. But my Lord, they love a draw. I think this was the six of their season. You know, This was Newcastle in their brave new post-Steve Bruce era under the caretaker eye of his assistant, Graham Jones. And the game began with a poignant moment. Crystal Palace fans, who are, would you say, they are the most passionate, committed, socially active uh, in the Premier League. And their owner, Steve Paris, has definitely led the charge, our mate, to to limit Newcastle's self-dealing sponsorship opportunities this week, David. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Steve's taking a stand. I think the fans, you know, was, um, you know, even though this was reported to the police, um, you know, they they are making a stand against the human rights abuses of um, of Saudi Arabia, which, of course, had nothing to do with PIF. Nothing. And nothing. They just chose. They just decided. We, we, yeah, we know this week we're going to take an opportunity. Nothing. Yeah, nothing, nothing to do with Newcastle. We're going to we're going to make a protest about the human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, um, I mean, by the way, in all seriousness, it was an incredible moment in a Premier League game to see the fans before kickoff hold up a banner which went studs up on the PIF. And the Premier League, a flag which showed Mohammed bin Salman wielding a bloody sword alongside the Premier League chief executive, Richard Masters, and a list of 
just, I mean, look at this one up uh, on Twitter, uh, proclaiming, the list proclaims terrorism, civil rights abuse, murder, beheadings, alongside the Newcastle chant, we got our club back, a really a taste, I, I, thought, it was, I thought it was an amazing moment, really a taste of the scenes, I believe, will come across the Premier League, Davo, in a week in which the parish has rallied the league owners to try and prohibit a loophole where nation states, as they have in the past, have used the arms of their states, like the airlines, to give the football team they own bloated sponsorship deals and skirt financial fair play rules. So I, did, I thought it was an incredible moment. You know, and Palace fans, always difficult to play uh, against when you're away. Amazing atmosphere uh, down there in Croydon. Um, so, um, yeah. Hats off to them. And Steve, you know, has been, this isn't just something he's come up with this week. This is something he's been fearing, something he's been talking about for a, for a very long time. On the field, Benteke summoned the finish to put Palace in the lead. And I was watching this game in the green room at the LA Fan Fest alongside oh, Alan Shearer. He's a lovely bloke, right, David? Alan Shearer, a genuinely lovely human being. Yeah, so nice. Uh, such a good guy. Um, so knowledgeable. Um you know, you know, I was sitting next to him on that uh, sofa watching the game with him in the green room. And we were talking about, like, what if Newcastle go down? You know, does it really matter even? Um, they just get another year to rebuild. They've got so much money. Um, you know, it, it's, it's almost this weird, it's like a phony war of a season at this point. It almost doesn't matter what happens. Yeah, but I can tell you it does matter at the same time because when Benteke scored, my God, he was in absolute agony on that couch. Cue shots of Newcastle's new owners looking glum and glummer. And then Callum Wilson, he only, the best way to describe it, he went Cirque du Soleil on that ball. <laughs> yeah, it's almost as though he had bands pulling him up and holding him up. Yeah, it was a great goal. Cue Alan Shearer scenes in the green room as the cameras cut to Amanda Staveley, the Newcastle director, oh. celebrating as if she herself had taught Callum Wilson to do that overhead kick. Benteke should be said had a winner, Vardoff controversially at the last. Palace fought her on the run in a the game they arguably should have won. As Rebecca Lowe herself pointed out to me, there's truly feel-good buzz about the team right now under Vieira, but they're still only on nine points after nine games. Though, to be honest, to transform your team's play so profoundly while betting in so many bloody new players. It is a high-wire act that Vieira's performed without a safety net, and I would gladly take each one of those nine. Leeds won, Wolves won. Bruno Lage's men look to be heading for a fourth straight victory after a 10th-minute Huang He Chen goal. But in the game's last breath, 19-year-old Joe Gelhart, a hard-charging scouser who's drawn comparisons to Waza, he earned a penalty. Rodrigo Cooley converted, causing the crowd to Elland Roadgasm. Perhaps not what Bielsa <laughs> would have wanted here, but an important point for Leeds at the death, Roger. Southampton 2, Burnley 2, low-key game of the weekend. Despite the participants having just one win between them, Ivorian bash brother Maxwell Cornet started the scoring with a 13th-minute header. Southampton then went ahead through a pair of Chelsea academy fueled goals from Val-filled wonders Valentino Livramento and Armando Broja. But in the 57th minute, it was Cornet again, this time lashing one home from outside the box to level the score. Burnley still in 18th, Southampton in 16th, both with lots to prove.
Yeah, God, Southampton could have put this one away if they had what Burnley do, a lethal striker, the clinical Cornet, three goals in three starts, 43% of his entire team's goals, crucial ones too, as Burnley still search for their first win of the season. Closest thing they've come to a W is news this week that New Orleans Saint All Pro Safety Malcolm Jenkins has joined the team's ownership huh, group. I saw that. The wonderfully named GFOP at Burnley Sanders said, Malcolm Jenkins should be back up if Chris Woods gets injured. Start the man. And by the way, Dave, I love America that someone named Burnley Sanders can just choose (laughs) to be a Burnley fan. I do feel for all you children named Everton who are out there across this nation. Don't do it. Don't die, kid. I kid. Do it. Do it. Do it, says Benny Bennett. Everton 2, Watford 5. Rog, if we could avoid talking about this game, we would. But the photographic proof of our reactions while watching at FanFest made it impossible. Your mob were leading 2-1 in the 78th minute and appeared to be cruising towards victory. But seemingly out of nowhere, as we stepped out of the green room in order to rehearse our life here, (laughs) they gave up four goals and an epic collapse at Goodison. To make matters worse, the striker with whom you all had a few casual dates last year, Josh King... (laughs) He notched a hat-trick to prove he is now happily married and living the good life while you're still living in that studio apartment with borrowed furniture, eating instant mac and cheese straight out of the pan. Shout out to Jennifer's Convertibles who allowed us to furnish that bedsit (laughs) with one easy visit to JC. I'm not going to lie, I did feel bleak ahead of this one, just the injuries is a serious footballing point before I reel in agony. They just keep on coming in the face of Corey. Now out for a month and a half. Then Yerry Mina twinged a hamstring. DCL's comeback has had a setback. My kid Barry said to me, second son, he goes, why are we the masters of having midweek, not even in-game injuries, <laughs> but like the masters of midweek injuries. And so I was honestly braced for darkness. And even more so when we made the just child mistake of scoring too early. Tom Davis, so happy for him. His confidence has been so low this season. He needed that. But God, that goal, Dave, scoring in the first minute, shouldn't have done that, should we? Well, yeah. and But it looked pretty good. It still looked mm-hmm. pretty good when you're 2-1 up in the 78th yeah. minute, Rog. By the way, it all looked good. When that goal went in, Tom Davis is. Remember, I was in the LA Fan Fest bloody green room, sitting with whom? Who was I sitting with? Big Al. And Big Al, Alan Shearer, turn around. And, and funnily enough, I was even sitting by Jay Demerit. So I was sitting by him. I was almost embarrassed, to be honest, that we'd scored so early. I was like, oh my God, we're going to destroy you, Jay Demerit. Just absolutely humiliate you up the wazoo. I felt embarrassed that my team were just opening up a can of whoop-ass on Jay Demerit's team. How little did I know? But Alan Shearer turned to me when we scored. He goes, what do you think the final score's going to be? Um, and I jokingly said, and Jay Demerit filmed me as I said this, um, I said 5-1 to Watford. <laughs> and, you know, there's Sorry, truth in fact, you got a great result. There's humour. And, you know, there's truth in humour. And sometimes humour is not funny at all. Um, Josh King entered the chat. As you say, a striker who came to Everton last season, a very good finisher at Bournemouth, but he was marginalised by Colo Ancelotti. I think he had 11 substitute appearances, and that was that. He equalised. I was actually happy for him. It was nice to see an Everton striker happy at Goodison Park. It was it was actually ruled out by VAR. Couldn't work out why. I thought they'd ruled it out by VAR uh, because he celebrated against a club at which he'd spent so much quality time. Um, 
But my God, this is an amazing stat. Josh King's previous Premier League goal had come on the day Bournemouth were relegated. He was playing for Bournemouth in July 2020. The dude is prolific at Goodison Park, but just never in an Everton shirt. And the game was crap, sparkless football, lacking flair. And I saw 60th minute, Richarlison came on. Richie! Instantly made his impact felt within three minutes. Got his head, like, just flickered in out of nowhere. Got it, lads, Foster said, but Richarlison... Headed home. And from that moment, Davo, I walked out to rehearse. Davo goes, we've got to rehearse now. You know, I was like, 2-1. Sorry, Jay Demerit. Sorry, suck it, Jay Demerit. I was like, yay. Cool, 2-1. Job done. Uh, we're going to do our fan fest hit. Got to focus on that. We've got to rehearse. We do rehearse, don't we, Davo? People think we don't rehearse, but we do rehearse. Yeah, the most ridiculous thing there is that I said we had to rehearse whenever I ever wanted to rehearse. Yeah, we rehearse. And we're rehearsing. We're outside huddling. Uh, together going through our lines and a PA from NBC walked past me as we're in mid-flow <laughs> shaking his head you remember this right yeah I'm going to exaggerate slightly and say there were tears in his eyes as he walked past but man no, he, just, he, was, he had a, a wide brim smile no on his he face. was a blue he was a blue and he just said to me he just looked at me and he goes Rog don't go back in there. And I was like, trying to rehearse with you, trying to be professional. But I was like, why? I was like, why? 2-2. Two, two. I mean, I was like, 2-2. Two, two. I mean, I, I, I've been out for most. How long have we been out of that? Maybe 60 seconds. Yeah. I mean, we had been out for... I was like, is it 2-2? Two, two? And he just shook his head sadly. And so for a second, I felt great. It wasn't 2-2. Two, two, so it must have still been 2-1. It must have just been that they come... Maybe just Pickford was sent off yes. or something. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, 3-2. It was as if he'd reached into my chest and ripped out my still-beating heart and then I had to get up on stage with thousands of Premier League fans as Everton conceded <laughs> twice in a couple of minutes with hundreds, hundreds of Liverpool fans were behind me giving me wanker signs. I mean, Davo, can you describe the scene? Because it, humili- it was personally devastating. I don't remember the wanker signs, Rog. I don't remember that happening. But um, yeah, it was awkward. It was definitely awkward. I was trying to sort of steer a little bit clear of you and trying to quieten the crowd a little bit who were celebrating Watford's goals going in. It was not the idea of knowing how you like to watch your Everton team. You like to be, even when you're in a room full of people, yes. you're sort of on your own. Yes. Um, you like to be sort of cocooned yes. there as you watch your team, um, you know, tapping away at your computer, making notes. Uh, it was not an ideal circumstance. It was a blood for my sport. brother and it was friend a blood and lover in That's what it was. I mean, by the way, when was the last time a team got beat by five at home by bloody Liverpool? Well done, Premier League writers, for the symbolism. And then pump five past their next opponent on the road. I have long said on this podcast, and I believe this, Everton are less a football team. We're a charity. And here's charity. a stat. Josh King had not scored a goal in his last 32 appearances. Came on, scored a hat-trick against his former club today. And Everton have had some embarrassing results of late. We seem to lose to newly promoted teams on command. Even Sheffield United beat us twice last season, remember. But this was as bad as I've ever seen. Q, hashtag Rafa out trending nearly all weekend. Everton oh. rolled over, David. Rolled yeah. over. Yeah, I mean, and let's credit, though, Claudio Ranieri for what he's done at Watford. Dilly ding, dilly dong. He's come in. He's got them playing joyful football. And... Uh, you know, an impressive come-from-behind victory. Yeah, I mean, against a team that just quit in-game, at home, leaving Rondon on for 90 minutes, allowing Watford, pathetic Watford, to go full beast on us. And worst of all, of course, this performance comes on the day. Everton, 
movingly paid tribute to their deep connection to American players past and their passionate North American fan base with a stars and stripe themed warm-up jersey. It was beautiful. Never wear them again, lads. Never. (laughs) Okay, Rod, can we get one final toast with that exclamation point in a bottle, Jägermeister, to bring us home? I raise the shot of Jägermeister, this bolt of human emotion in a glass, the official shot of the Men in Blazers podcast to the 247th El Clasico, Barcelona 1, Real Madrid 2, first ever to be played between two failed Everton managers, Ronnie Mm. Koeman and my former dad, Carlo Ancelotti. And not just because of that, but because of how the Spanish game has fallen into financial... Oh, just free fall. It all felt a bit lesser. No Messi, no Ray Hudson, a Serginio Desp that was of Wando quality proof. You can take the boy out of CONCACAF, but you can't take the CONCACAF out of the boy. But joy in Madrid, thanks mostly to David Alaba. Go and find his opening goal. What a dream to score your first for Real Madrid against Barcelona and double that for the goal he scored. It was really a Yuri Tillmans of a rocket into the corner. Football that makes your jaw drop. The exclamation point of a weekend, which saw Inter Milan tie Juventus and Marseille hold 10-man Paris Saint-Germain. A weekend that reminds you we are just living in golden days and football gives us life. Oh, Roger. Okay, that's it for us. You can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davis, at Roger Bennett, on Instagram at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davis, on Facebook. We are the Men in Blazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk Rog. War pig! Was that a Rabona? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To Tweed. Abrigado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. Love you, Jay Demerit. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking, what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami? There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.